In South Vietnam, Da Nang has become a Dunkirk, with one crucial difference. Unlike Dunkirk in World War II, Da Nang is stricken with rampant panic. As the enemy approaches, the panic has swept from the coastal city's crowded back streets and pagodas onto runways at the airport. On March 30th, 1975, the New York Times published that radio contact with South Vietnamese port of Da Nang has been lost, indicating that the city had fallen to the communists. The recording you just heard was that of a CBS News anchor describing the chaos that was about to unfold in Vietnam's second largest city. At the Da Nang Airport, a U.S. aircraft Boeing 727 attempted to evacuate some civilians, but was rampaged by hundreds of South Vietnamese soldiers armed with rifles and grenades, forcing their way aboard the jet. They wanted out. Thousands of refugees fought their way onto barges, and only a fraction of those refugees were able to hoist themselves aboard a ship, hoping to reach Saigon where they thought it would be safer. My family was amongst those thousands. Hi everyone, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. Today's episode is about my sister, Joanne, who was just three days old during the evacuation of Da Nang. I sat down with Joanne recently, who is the sixth child in our family. And while her entry into life was a pretty dramatic one, we were able to reflect on the past with a little bit of humor. So hi, Joe. Hello. I'm excited <laughs> to be here. The famous story about you. When... Um, our town was evacuated in 1975. And that was Da Nang. Yes. Vietnam. I was born in Da Nang. I was only a couple of days old. And the town was evacuated. Of course, seven brothers and sisters under age, what, 10 or so. Um, our parents were trying to gather all of us and keep us together to get on a boat to ship or uh, ship us to the south, where it was a, a bit safer at the time. Um, at that time, I was only a couple of days old, and mom, from what I was told, mom fainted, and she was put in a room with all these other um, either pregnant women or women just just newly gave birth doing the event. And, of course, when she woke up, I was no longer in her arms. And, of course, she yelled for my dad to find me. All the kids look alike, red and wrinkly. So dad went to get a baby. I was too young for my mom to instantly recognize it wasn't me. But only when, I guess, I needed a diaper change, she changed and said, wait, this is a boy. We have a girl. (laughs) So she said, well, this is not our kids. Try again. So I don't know how many tries, maybe twice, three times. I have no idea. But what I was told, mom said that there were, I was wrapped around with a yellow, um, blank, yellow or pink. I have no idea. She said she knit. Okay. That story. Yeah. So I try to, again, I try to block that story. (laughs) I try to block that story out of my mind. But to this day, we always say, well, what if someone stole my sweater or blanket and wrapped in another baby so you would never know 
So yeah, so to this day, I'm still looking for my biologi- no. biological. No, <laughs> no I'm, I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but yes, that's the story. Gosh, mom was pregnant during a war, mm-hmm. um, and apparently they knew that they had to evacuate. Dainang um, three days in advance right. or four days in advance and they were all nervous because mom was pregnant with you so they prayed every night that you would come early <laughs> because your due date was on evacuation day oh my gosh <laughs> that's what dad said and dad said luckily mom had you three days before evacuation day I can't even imagine what type of voodoo or things they did back in the day <laughs> to induce the labor induce the labor yeah exactly maybe that's how I, I became who I am today So as you heard, we had a fun time reminiscing on the bits and pieces of that story of what seemed to be told to us a little bit differently every time. And by the way, I later confirmed with my mother that the hand-knit sweater that Joanne wore was in fact yellow. So anyways, I decided to reach out to my dad to get the real story of what happened that day. You'll hear in this next segment that he will refer to Joanne as B which is the nickname that we call her at home. What was the evacuation like? Evacuation? Oh, my, my, my God. The, uh, at that time, mom, you know, mom is pregnant. And uh, we know she's going to... Labor? Yeah, to labor, but we don't know when. But we have to, we have to run away, and, you know, any. So, but luckily, three days, three days before we before we run away, she feels sometimes she's going to. So I took her to the hospital, private hospital, under um, a doctor, private doctor. I know, I know him, and so I, yeah, I take mom there. It, at that time, no welcome at all in in the night. Bees is born there. And so the, the third day, the, the third day, we had to evacuate. So at that time I have um, a car, because the center they have a car. I tried to the, to the hospital to pick up mom there. And so I planning to go to the airport, the airport, and so fly to Saigon. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the airport, you cannot go because the traffic is jammed. Thousands of people were roaming the airfields of Dainang Airport, desperate to leave the city. My dad soon realized that exiting Dainang by plane was not an option. So the only way now, the only way to get out now, she had to go by sea. So I drive back by sea. I saw um, one big ship, a civil ship, not military, a cargo, cargo ship, a big one. And I still remember the name is Miller, M-I-L-L-E-R. They um, anchor out very, very far from the the ball from the sea. The family abandoned their car and quickly ran to the beach to exit by boat, where there were already wall-to-wall people along the shoreline. I got to hire a, a boat, a small boat. At that point, my dad had to find someone that owned a boat, and he paid them to put the whole family on a small fishing boat. From that small boat, they would then have to sail out and try to get on a slightly larger boat where there were hundreds of other refugees jam-packed in. From that boat, a small boat, we get try to get into the, um, what they call, they call the, just like a platform. 
what my dad is describing now, are called barges. A platform floating over the sea, and usually they carry heavy stuff in the platform. Each boat was crammed with so many refugees, and then once they got closer to these floating barges, they were desperately fighting their way on. It's, it's, it's very dangerous because, because you try to grab something on, the, on that thing. That big thing, in order to grab it, if, if you, you cannot grab it, you can fall in the water. But if you fall in water, that's it. Nobody there to pick you up. I, I remember it take about an hour, hour to do on the whole family and do one by one. But finally, I don't know, miracle, I don't know what, how, how we get there. And so finally, we all family, we get into the, into the platform. But from the platform, the platform uh, next to the boat, but the boat still higher. Look like the, the four or five story mm-hmm. building. So from the the boat they put a, a ladder, put the ladder by a string ladder. Like a rope. Yeah, yeah. rope. And so when you get into, uh, in, into in the middle of that one, and a lot of people, a lot of women around. Mom tried to hold ball. Mm-hmm. Me. Uh, B. Mm-hmm. Only three days. A girl. She worked with us. Sometimes she carried uh, Be. Be is my oldest sister. She was only two years old at the time and was being carried by the nanny. As mobs of thousands of people tried to transfer from the barge platform onto a ship that was about 20 plus feet in reach, my dad was concerned that the family would get separated. He looked over at my mom clutching their three-day-old baby, Joanne. He looked over at their nanny trying to climb the ropes, loosely holding my sister Tuan in her arms. And he looked back at the four boys, ages 14 through eight years old. He decided at that moment to assume the worst. I I tell him, I I grouped them before and told Noni and bed together and say, I, I write, try to write out on a piece of paper, I say, if the, if the ship go to uh, to Nyatra, and they they know where, but why, how, but if they go to Saigon, if the, if the ship go to Saigon, here's the address of Jileu. Uh, My dad told the boys to try to make it up to the top of that ship, gave them the addresses of my grandmother in Nyajang and of my aunt in Saigon, and his hope was that the boys would make it to one of those cities. So I give um, all of them, I say, four of you get together and try to get up there. From now on, try to get to the, to the mirror, to, 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 to the ship, whatever, however you get it. Don't, don't look back, don't look for mom, don't look for dad, don't look for anybody. A lot of people, maybe maybe ten thousand people, or thousand, thousand people, they fight. They try to fight to get to that one. And uh, finally, um, I don't know how mom go. I don't know. I don't see the the little kid, but I see the uh, the girl carry a bag. She stuck somewhere in the middle, in the middle of the ladder. At that moment, the nanny was stuck trying to climb up the rope, loosely holding my sister Tuan. 
he decided to throw away the only thing that they had brought with them, which was a small briefcase with some cash and papers, such as their birth certificates. He threw that briefcase overboard to free both hands. To remove the, uh, the girl and with bear, that one, and try to push them, and finally we get on top of the, of the, of the ship. And when they got on top of the ship, I, tried, I, I go around to look for mom and for everybody, and um, I couldn't find mom. I don't know where. But I find um, Ni, Na, and Be, three of them stay in one place. And I ask where is No, No. And uh, they say, No, go somewhere to look for somewhere for them to locate them. To, to. And I say, Okay, now good, you stay here, don't move. Let me go to, um, to find our mom. Uh, in, in, the, in the ship, there's a different cabin room, a small room reserved for the sailor. They give the room to somebody sick or some old people and sick people and whatever, and they put in there. Mm-hmm. So I go by room by room by room, finally I find mom in there. Mm-hmm. By mom there, I go to get the, the three kids, get them to the mom and sit there. But bomb, but bomb nowhere. I asked, I asked... You mean bay? Yeah, yeah, I asked, I asked uh, mom, she didn't know, you know, because she fainted. She, she fell out and somebody take her in there. But My mom, who had literally given birth to Joanne three days ago, was still trying to recover from labor. She had been on her feet all day fighting the mobs of refugees, and she had fainted clutching Joanne. I, I took three of them to stay with mama, all, all of you stay in here. Let me go to uh, look for the, the baby and look for the uh, no. But no, she go, uh, he goes somewhere, look for some place to it, but actually she, she, he's lost. So I go, I go room by room by room. I, when I find a, um, a kid, a, a little baby, but you, you know the baby, when they just born, they look alive. <laughs> you cannot recognize. So I look alive, and one time I find with a woman, I say, oh, my kid. <laughs> she says, it's mine, it's my kid. <laughs> I have no idea. I could keep going around. And uh, the, uh, the sailor, the sailor, they, they, some of the sailors, they, they help too. They try to uh, tell them that we have a little baby. Somewhere in the crowd, we don't know, we try to look at and so we and they they search to finally they bring one one baby to mom, and mom look mom say oh it's okay they said her but when she look when she look under she say oh this is not it's not my it's not my baby it's, it's not a girl it's a boy <laughs> so anyway so finally somebody bring in and uh, finally she recognized by the by the the shirt. And uh, finally, we get everybody in one room, and Noah is nowhere in the crowd, so... Noah is my oldest brother, and he was 14. My dad couldn't find him anywhere among the thousands of people. He just hoped that he was old enough to take care of himself. And we spent about two or three days in the ship, and, you know, the... um, the crowd, the, the ship is so crowded, you cannot move. Mm. And um, and we know people need water out there, but how can, you, you can go there and give them the water. So I just use the hose, the water hose, and just, just you know, 
right. uh, just uh, like uh, you know, go back and forth by whoever pick up some water, you know. And um, a lot of women die on in that, that way too. And finally, they go to uh, the ship go to Cameron, not Saigon, but to Cameron. So they drop the people in Cameron. In order they go back to pick up again, mm-hmm. the nine pick up again. So uh, we get out in Cameron. Did you find a no yet? Uh, finally, we we yeah finally and the, the next day or something we we found no. Where was he? In the crowd, she she, she you know she turned blue because of no no food no uh, no no food no water no nothing. same beach where the U.S. Marines had landed nearly 10 years earlier, beginning America's combat involvement in Vietnam. 16,000 Arvin soldiers fought for space with 75,000 terrified civilians aboard an improvised fleet of freighters and fishing boats headed south for Cameron Bay, Vong Tau, and Saigon. Anywhere they thought northern troops might not follow. Thousands drowned struggling to reach the boats. Thousands more were killed by enemy shells raining down on the beach. The evacuation of Da Nang was only the beginning of a refugee life for my family. When that ship arrived at Karambe, we were still at least 30 miles away from Nha Chang, where my grandmother lived. And so our journey to migrate to cities that the communists had not yet reached continued. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for listening to Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. If you would like to share your refugee story on our podcast, please contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.